こそほつがんもは
has a life, is related, mother, father, grandfather, child, sister, wife, baby, three-week-old baby, a firefighter's uh, newborn, recently died of the virus. Uh, I, I, I bow in humility for all the suffering that is happening now in the entire world. We are one in that. We are joined in that. So uh, before starting, I wanted us to acknowledge that that is happening now as we speak. And um, also I'd like to acknowledge a little bit Shakespeare, who in the midst of his uh, tragedies often had a comedic respite. So here are the jokes. It's okay if you don't laugh. Remind me that, Ryan, when I get to the end of the talk, there is one that I'm not going to read now that I do want to read then. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Joke number one. There are five. A master says to his pupil, do you understand that you don't really exist? Upon which the pupil replies, to whom are you telling that? (laughs) Snickers. (laughs) <laughs> I got Snickers. Okay. A Zen student asked his master, Is it okay to use email? Yes, the master replied, but with no attachments. <laughs> <laughs> Some people get it. <laughs> Prince Gautama, who had become a Buddha, saw one of his followers meditating under a tree at the edge of the Ganges River. Upon inquiring why he was meditating, his follower stated that he was attempting to become so enlightened that he could cross the river unaided. Buddha gave him a few pennies and said, Why don't you seek passage with the boatman over there? It's much easier. No, nobody liked that. <laughs> okay, number four. They get better. They get better, I think. What did the Buddhist say to the pizza chef? Make me one with everything. <laughs> the pizza chef prepared it and get, gives it to the monk. The monk pays and asks for change. The pizza vendor says, change comes from within. (laughs) Last one. Why did the Buddhist coroner get fired? He kept marking cause of death as birth. (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, in the midst of this uh, catastrophe, in many ways, I thought a little bit of humor would be acceptable. Uh, so, but last Wednesday, I believe it was, was Earth Day. Was it Wednesday? Wednesday. It was also Ryan's birthday, so, you know, both important. <laughs> Certainly to Ryan. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the Earth and our relationship to it and what's been happening with the virus and some ways of uh, actually valuing the stopping that the virus has caused and in relationship to the Earth and our practice. So I want to read to you, uh, let's see, how do I want to say this? You know, I'm not telling you anything that you guys don't already know. You know, the Earth is a living system. The planet that we live in is alive. It breathes like we do. We are not walking through the environment, we are of the environment. We are in no way separate. But we've lost touch with the mystery. We've lost touch with the fact that there's anything here at all rather than nothing. And what is here is a gigantic mystery. And even in a kind of an even more profound mystery is why we don't get that in our body. Suzuki Roshi once said, if I remember, he said, um, so I think in one of his books, he said, life itself is mystery enough. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. So, um, I wanted to read you some, do you want to be with them? Could be. Watch it though, from the computer. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. This is a this is a quote from a book called Bra- Braiding Sweetgrass, which I think is a. Po- <laughs> that was neat. It's a poem uh, to the earth. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. When, when I first read it, I sent out copies to people I thought would appreciate it. This is what she says in the opening of her book. She's, a, she's an indigenous American. She's a scientist, a botanist, and a writer, beautiful writer. Hold out your hands and let me lay upon them a sheaf of freshly picked sweet grass, loose and flowing like newly washed hair. Golden, green, and glossy above, the stems are banded with purple and white, 
where they meet the ground. Hold the bundle up to your nose. Find the fragrance of honeyed vanilla over the scent of river water and black earth, and you understand its scientific name, meaning fragrant holy grass. In our language, the language of the Patawatomi, it's called Wainga'ak, the sweet-smelling hair of Mother Earth. Breathe it in, and you start to remember things you didn't know you'd forgotten. You know, one of the uh, wondrous things about what's happening to us is that this virus has stopped us, stopped the frantic running around, stopped the grasping and greed and the distractions that are part of our life when we live this so-called normal life. I, I remember one time with I was with Trungpa and he said straight out, speed kills. And he wasn't talking about cars. He was talking about the way that we live our life. And yet here we are in a monastery and you would think that it would be, you know, spacious and slowed down. But even here there's a tendency to not appreciate the, can I say, not appreciate the possibility of living in a way that's deeply connected rather than superficial. So I, for one, see a huge lesson that the virus has has given us, that we're stopped. So um, Laura sent me a um, video the other day of a, the video is, speaks from the point of the virus. So I want to read that to you too, because, and this may be difficult for people, but we made the virus. The virus is not separate from us. We human beings have moved into the wild places a lot because there are just too many of us, and I know that that's a risky thing to say. When I was young in my youth, we had 2.5 billion people on the earth. We now have almost 9 billion people in my lifetime. And there's not enough room. So we're moving into the wild places. And in doing that, we are taking away the environment, the diversity, and the home of living beings that we are deeply, I don't want to say connected to, that's too separate. We are living the same life. 
and we're destroying our life support system. I'm getting very, this is very depressive. <laughs> I don't mean it to be depressive. It's just reality, what's happening. And we need to stop and feel into that. So this is a, this is a quote from the virus. from the virus point of view. Stop. Don't move. This is not a request. It's an order. Listen. I am here to help you. Your speed, your consumption, your hectic flux of illusions that never let you look at the sky, to hear birdsong, to lend an ear to the ocean, to pick an apple, smile at a being in the wild. Take heed. Our obligations are reciprocal. The earth gives. You need to give back to take care of it. Nature through this virus is stopping our endless cacophony. It has to be stopped, interrupted, the divisions and the distractions are not okay. Melting ice, fires, rise in sea level, no effect, nothing. You haven't been listening to anything. But look, we are not okay. The foundations are collapsing. You are experiencing mass extinction of what supports your lives. Your feverish desires have to be seen and stopped. It's hard to stop when you're so busy, but we will stop you. Stop your lungs, turn off your heart and kidneys. Now are you listening? Do we have your attention? We are not okay. This virus is not an enemy, but a messenger, an ally, an ally. balancing the force of nature. You have to hear this. Listen. Nature is shouting. Look up at the sky. How is it doing? How clean do you need it to be? Look at the rivers. How are they? And look at yourselves. How are you doing? You cannot be well in a sick ecology. Many of you are afraid now, but don't demonize your fear. Don't let it control you. Let it speak to you. Listen to its wisdom. I am here to help. Listen. Listen. So I have hope. I actually have hope. <laughs> I have hope because I think the virus has actually caught our attention. I have hope because it has stopped us in our tracks. I have hope that maybe this time we will rethink our relationship to our to the earth, to this living miracle, 
I have hope because I think now we will actually rethink our priorities. Rethink this madness of getting, 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 of being better and seeking and grabbing and pushing things away that we are uncomfortable with in the slightest way. Maybe we can live in gratitude for this gift of life. So I'm hoping, this is my hope, that the virus will help us have have a, 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 a transformation of consciousness, first as individuals, because this is our path, a transformation of our consciousness from living from egoic energy that is this struggle and seeking and control and doing and all of these strategies that are that fail <laughs> and we give up thinking we know anything actually And if we can then transform our own individual consciousness and come from a a deeper place of this wholeness, we can walk a bodhisattva path. That's That's our commitment. And speak this truth. And in some way, in in little seeds planted by you guys all over, Maybe we could have a communal transformation, a human transformation that gets us back to what indigenous people have known for millennium. That we are not alone on this earth. That there are tree beings and bee beings and frog beings, peepers. Frog beings and elephant beings and dolphin beings and The earth is alive, we share it. And in order for human, I think, in order for human beings to really survive, we have to renew, not renew, but we have to reconnect. We have to have a transformation of human consciousness so that we understand the life that we are living together, that we live, that we recognize that, that we give homage to that, that we have gratitude for that, that we take care of it in our own space as well as, you know, human uh, shrinking ourselves so that other living things have space enough to create and to sustain our life support system. So this is my hope, and almost my faith. (laughs) Not quite, but almost. Human beings are enormously resilient. You know, and the way the practice goes, you know, sometimes unless we're really punched in the nose, we don't, we don't, acknowledge the parts of us that are difficult to see 
But once we do, we can, we can take them up and practice with them. And I think it's the same thing for human beings in general. I think this virus is smashing us. And maybe now we will actually listen. That's my hope. So what does it what does it mean to make this transformation of consciousness? What 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 does that mean? How do we how do we begin to approach that? So I want to offer a word. It's a little slippery, but I want to suggest the whole entire path is a path of surrender. whole path. And we resist mightily. Resistance and surrender are, they speak with each other. I am not talking about submission. Submission is when you give over your authenticity, you give over your power, you give over your responsibility, actually. This is not submission. This is not even passive. This is surrender, which is a devotion. It's devotional. It has to do with trust. It has to do with a willingness to let go. This is what we need to do. Zazen, the way we do Zazen Shikantaza, our kind of meditation, is surrender. It's nothing but a complete and total surrender to life the way it arises in a particular spot, or even more widely. It's a very feminine activity of not doing anything, (laughs) of letting things be exactly the way they are. It's a kind of a yielding, a very open, wide listening. It's a beingness, not a doingness. The first kind of resistance and where we surrender, in my, my kind of understanding the path, we surrender the resistance of thinking that somebody else is causing our suffering. That's the first thing we do. And it's, a, it's kind of like I don't know. That turning is necessary, otherwise we're not practicing. So we have to surrender all of the projections, all of the blaming, all of the I know something, all of the this is the way it should be, 
and on and on and all the gossip that comes from that. And we surrender all of that to the sky. And we begin to be able to own and take responsibility for what comes up in our own mind. And that's the path to freedom. If that doesn't happen, there's no walking the path. That's the first surrender place. The next surrender place is of the body. That when we surrender living in the mind, which is the first thing I described, we come into the body and there's resistance there as well. We're very resistant to feeling emotional things that are painful, that are contracted. These are contractions in the body. Lots of it held up here or in the stomach, the uh, wherever it's held, shoulders, muscles for men, back. We surrender the suppression of those energies. Emotions are just energies that are stuck in the body sometimes. So we let go of that kind of resistance, that that contracting around emotions, those stored emotions, all of which we have to live again in order to see them clearly. In order for those energies to be released and transformed, we have to be, we have to let them come up in the body. And then they can be released and integrated. So that's the next level of surrender. The body also comes with uh, I was going to say frightening. It doesn't have to be frightening, but you know, the truth of impermanence, of our own individual impermanence as this form, body, the truth of impermanence (laughs) means that at some point this body dies. And so we surrender to that truth. We don't fight anymore with, you know, wanting to look a certain kind of way or whatever, however that denial of what the coroner was saying, right? He, birth is the cause of death. Right? We surrender that resistance. Actually, in a way, you know, in a way, in a certain kind of way, the beginning of the path and middle of the path, that as we travel, in a certain kind of way, it gets harder and harder because these resistances get deeper and more subtle. 
The next kind of uh, surrender we do, this is it's not easy. Those of you who have been working with uh, identity of uh, racial, um, various racial identities know that giving up at that level, that uh, the level of identity is very difficult and there's a lot of resistance. But it's not, there are many identities all come to us by attachment to thought. And this is the difficult part for many people, especially people who have depended on their intellect as a survival mechanism. But we will have to surrender all po- attachment to all points of view, to all thought, to all conceptuality, everything from I'm a good person or I'm not a good person to I am Jewish or whatever the identities are, all the way to I am a separate me. It's all about surrendering attachment to thought. And, and this is not easy. It can feel like it actually it does. It feels like a stripping, like almost like a flaying. Because it's, we don't want to give up our beliefs. but we will be asked to give up attachment to all thought, all conceptuality, so that there's space. You know, it's very famous in in, in Zen, we end up not knowing. They're not kidding. (laughs) You know, we read these things, these texts and stories and so on and so forth and oh yeah yeah I know that sounds really good I can do that right or whatever it is no when it gets close you will resist mightily the egoic structure does not give up easily but we may end up in a place of not knowing of profound not knowing And in that way, what the cup is empty, and something else can be, can arise. This is a uh, very famous poem by. Um, by other people beside Dogen, but Dogen changed it a little bit. It's called The Wind Bell. The whole body is like a mouth hanging in empty space, not questioning the winds from east, west, south, or north. Equally with all of them, speaking wisdom, 
Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. This is not, again, passive. Submission, submitting, not submitting, surrender is not passive. It allows space so that an appropriate response can arise. So, we have been stopped. I think it's a good thing. It gives me hope. It gives me hope that we can reflect that we can contemplate a life that is actually connected to life. <laughs> that we stop this incessant speediness, this grasping, and we listen to the birds, and we listen to the frogs, and we look at the sky. And we live on the earth with some respect and some reciprocity for the incredible gifts that it gives. That we live humbly. Human beings are not the only species. Not even the most important one. So on this celebration of Earth Day and Ryan's birthday, I'm glad that we're stopped. There are many lessons that we can learn from this imposed, contemplative uh, time and this transformation of not coming from the egoic, the energy of, that, it, that pushes the ego into its strategies of continuing, and instead surrender in a not knowing way to life the way it has come to be. Reconnect with an authentic life. A life that knows that we are one whole living, breathing, sensing, conscious system. So, here's the last joke. I thought I would need a joke at the end. My talk seems so serious. It's a little bit serious. I mean, don't you think? (laughs) I think it's it's really serious. Okay. Here's the last joke. A Buddhist phones the monastery and asks the monk, 
Can you come to a blessing for my new house? And the monk says, Sorry, I'm busy. What are you doing? Can I help? I'm doing nothing, replied the monk. Doing nothing is a monk's core business, and you cannot help me with that. So the next day, the Buddhist phones again. Can you please come to my house for a blessing? He asked the monk, or she asks the monk. Sorry, said the monk, I'm busy. What are you doing? I'm doing nothing, replied the monk. But that was what you were doing yesterday, <laughs> said the Buddhist. Correct, replied the monk, and I'm not finished yet. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Okay, that's, that's the end of my talk today. So, um, thank you very much for listening. I'm very um, humbled and struck that you've come at all. I have nothing to say. Just um, watch the birds, you know, or look at a tree for this, you know, week and um, let's really practice hard. The world needs us. Thank you. Have a very good day. May our intention equally Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.